Welcome to the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara, a celebration of Bill Hannah, Joe Barbara, and the thousands of people, past and present, who have shared in their entertainment tradition. And now your host, Greg Airbar. Thank you, Chris Anthony. Welcome again to the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara. I am deeply honored to have this guest. It is a larger-than-life character that this guest played. If you watch Super Friends, today we have the actual voice, the longest-running actor continuously playing the role of Wonder Woman, Shannon Farnan. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for that beautiful introduction. One of the privileges of my life was to be able to play this character that we all know and love. I got a kick out of when she would swoop down from, you know, solving crimes and saving the universe to tell kids that they should always cross at corners and wait till the green walk. (laughs) (laughs) Always a moral of the story. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Greg, but nobody ever died on Super Friends. Super Friends is one of the most important series in the entertainment industry. It's one of many things Hanna-Barbera innovated that led to more things. And that's one of the reasons for this podcast also. Because, first of all, Hanna-Barbera created some of the most successful superhero shows in the 60s, Space Ghost, Herculoids, and Shazam. But then various groups felt that it was justifiable in some ways because it was the late 60s. It was a violent time. People were frightened that this might be influencing children. So those shows were eventually replaced with Archie was a huge hit. So there were other characters with rock and roll bands. And then the uh, teenage mystery with Scooby-Doo and the situation comedies that Hanna-Barbera was good at and Filmation. So when Scooby-Doo movies had Batman and Robin on, it was to prove Superheroes could be on television in a show that had action and had mystery and had ghosts or Mr. Greenway pretending to be a ghost that would not be violent, could be peaceful, but still be exciting and fun. That was what led to Super Friends. They proved it. Yeah. And also Valley of the Dinosaurs. Very, very briefly on only one season. (laughs) Well, it only lasted a season, but to us watching, it seemed like there were more than 16. Oh, well, that's good. That's nice. So those two are very pivotal 70s cartoons. But let's go back. Let's go back. So how did you first decide you had what they called the bug for acting? I was probably born with it, but I know I was born into a family of entertainers. Right from the get-go, my mother was a singing comedian. My father was an orchestra leader and composer. My uncles were famous, well, as you know, some of them. And they were major musicians in the world. And when I was a child, if I wanted to take baton classes, I could take baton classes. If I wanted to take piano, if I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, they gave me carte blanche to do it. So I studied classical piano until I was about 17. But along the way, of course, I was always I was always acting. I had neighborhood friends in my small years. We'd put on shows in the basement. We had basements in Chicago. And we would make our own sets. And my mother had a lot of costumes in her trunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'd wear these oversized costumes in our shows and write the script and light the show. It's a paradise for kids to have a box of costumes. (laughs) Yes, it was. I mean, you know, we were just played the part from day one. So when I got into high school and actually started in the theater department, 
I knew that that's where I belonged. I could dance and sing and all that, of course, by then. But I was geared towards the uh, acting end of it. So slowly but surely, I got started. I took regular jobs prior to um, making the full decision to go full force. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of those nine to fivers, we'll call it, I asked my mom, I said, would you give me the money for pictures? And if I can't pay you back in four months, I'll go back to getting the nine to five. Mm-hmm. I wasn't living at home since the time of my second year in college. She said, sure, well, that was the way it went. And I paid her back and never looked back. You were in many of the shows that were that are still running that were popular in their day, and most of them are still around and have become beloved icons of TV. And I remember the episodes that you were in, particularly I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah, so I did a couple of those shows. So That was the episode where uh, Jeannie the Matchmaker, That yes. was every TV show was required to do a computer dating episode. And <laughs> you were the unfortunate... Yes. Major Nelson that Jeannie had to pretty much destroy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was great. Fun. Well, uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's um, we were in a breakaway boat, yes. boat all day long. So I got to know Larry very well. As a matter of fact, I wound up. I was married with twin babies at the time who were tiny, tiny. And I wound up buying his station wagon and tent trailer. And we used that for our camping with the kids when they were small. So we developed a somewhat relationship, which is hard to do on those shows because unless you're a permanent member of the cast, you're in and out too long to make anything last. Are most shows welcoming of someone who comes in for a featured role? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've never had a issue with that on a show that, you know, where I was already cast. No, everybody's always been lovely. I mean, there are stories in the business, and I certainly have some, which I probably won't share here. But <laughs> well, there's always generally a few, everyone has been ninety nine percent pros and working hard, and and some people have a bad day, and some people are just what we would call complicated. Yes. There's much more attention to the negative than there is to the positive, and there's tons of positive. oh yes, but- and the personalities are so vastly different. Personalities are just part of enjoyment of life, but it was always like you hook into their sense of self and their sense of how they want the show to go and how it's been going after all. They're usually running the show, at least on camera. That was part of the learning process. Was there a difference between appearing on, say, an hour drama adventure or a sitcom or like you did a Red Skelton show? Yes, well, there's vast differences between the Red Skelton show and not so much sitcoms, but that and the dramatic shows. Yeah, vast difference. But, you know, a job was a job. I was a model, advertising, modeling type thing, print work, it's generally called. I did voiceover work. I worked in industrial films. I looped films. I looped television shows. Of course, the commercials and the theatrical work and a few films along the way. My goal was to keep working in this business and by golly, I did. And you still are. And I think that's the standard of somebody who also is professional and also is pleasant to work with. You keep working. Well, you know, I'm here. I'm in town. I'm available. I also do comic conventions now, thanks to our (laughs) lovely Wonder Woman. (laughs) There's still so much interest 
in this. Well, one of my very good friends, Greg, is the art director for 30 years at Hanna-Barbera. Is that Araj Brand? Yes. By and large, everybody I've talked to has such great memories. It was such an exciting place and and such a, a supportive place for people who were in the industry. Yes. Yeah. They were very accommodating because, you know, we worked live. Generally speaking, we were all there at the same time. It was the ideal way to work. But often if we had other gigs and we all did, they were very accommodating. They'd just bring us in individually and we'd do it in a smaller room. One hand helped the other. That also was probably part of the reason they didn't put us under contract. (laughs) I noticed you also were in the Steven Spielberg segment of Night Gallery pilot with Joan Crawford. Yes, and that's an interesting story. I was a pretty girl. Joan Crawford didn't particularly like working with pretty girls if she didn't have to. So the bulk of my role as a nurse, I was uh, Joan Crawford's nurse in this after she took Tom Bosley's eyes. Yeah. And by the time it hit the road, I was barely in that show. Mm, You hear about stories like that. Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) But, you know, when I worked with Stephen, we knew he was a young phenom, but we were pretty close in age. And I didn't think too much about it. He was a nice, quiet director and focused. And, you know, this was his first, I think, his first television gig. Yeah, it was, if not very, very early. And still, you watch that episode, and it is powerful, frightening. Even the sound design of that is astonishing. You said he was sort of the, the, I mean, people kind of sensed that he was somebody special then. I think they did by then. I mean, that was what maybe got his foot in that door to be able to direct Joan Crawford. And of course, the great Tom Bosley. That was pretty good for a start. Yeah. So, well, you work with so many, so many. I mean, I uh, yeah. going back to Ray Walston and Bill Bixby. Uh, yes. Yeah, lovely guys. Yes. Robert and I've outlived most of them. I don't know if that, how exciting that is, but for me, it's exciting. Well, <laughs> then you can share the memories. Yes. Of course, of course. And I try to. I try to say yes to most of these podcasts. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. And I want to ask you a little bit about, you mentioned your family, and they are very, very prominent people. First, let's talk about your mom. Okay. My mom started in showbiz. She was raised in Chicago with her brother. They called themselves the Omen Twins. They were not twins. He was two years older. Uh-huh. But that's how they sold themselves, and they were the <laughs> the very common story of the day. They worked six shows a day on the circuit, and for a child, that's a lot to expect. And as it turned out in my mother's life, that's where she got all her adulation. That's what she learned growing up was where the love came. Mm. Not that she wasn't loved, mm-hmm. but... The audience was the, it's a complicated thing, but it didn't do her a service as she aged. Oh, yeah. So that's a, that was tough. My uncle, her brother, was an alcoholic, and so was my mother. Oh, and her name Hers, was Rita Omen. Rita, Rita Omen, and she married Brian Farnan, and the Farnan boys were all in the Canadian Army together in doing music. Yeah. And it all went on to be very successful. 
always had a job in music, and I don't think any of them ever had a lesson. So let's talk about Brian Farnan, some of the things that he's done, and then the brothers. Well, he was the orchestra leader when I was growing up at the Shaperie in Chicago. Wow. And when we finally moved out here, this goes through quite a few years, because my mom and he, my mom met him when he was a sax player in some band in the Chicago Theater when she was on stage. My mom came out here to do films in the late 30s. Uh And she was under contract to RKO. And that fizzled out. It was the time of Ginger Rogers and that era of people. And she did a few typicals of the day. Uh And then she wound up going back to Chicago. They didn't continue her contract after two years. So she went on the road as a singing comedian. Hmm. So that's how she spent my growing up years. And she would do club dates, you know, really all around the Midwest at the time. Uh When they came out here, my dad was the orchestra leader of the Moulin Rouge and Ciro's. He wound up being the um, artistic director for Nat King Cole in the last years of Nat's life. Wow. He was the orchestra leader of the Aladdin Hotel in Las Vegas. And then he was 30 years the orchestra leader, arranger, conductor at Harris Club in Lake Tahoe. That is one impressive oh, yeah. career. Very rare and wonderful that a man who is a musician continually works. He was also on the Spike Jones show. He would fly <laughs> down and do that. Dad sang and goofed around and did comedy skits. And we're all just a bunch of hams. You know, not everyone may be aware what a broadcasting and entertainment mecca Chicago was in the 20th century. Oh, as a matter of fact, Olin Soule, who was our Batman, used to be a major announcer. And he would literally go from one gig to another by taking the cabs in uh, Chicago. Yes, Olin Soule. Oh, he's just a hero of mine. You can spot him in hundreds of shows, and you don't necessarily have to see him right away. And it's like, oh, it's Olin Soleil again. That's right. That's right. The first time I worked with Olin, I was shocked completely. I got a call out of the blue. There was no audition. And my agent said, they want you to show up at, I think it was Channel 11, for a home savings and loan commercial. So I go into makeup, and a little while comes in this man who had never met Olin Soleil. Great voice. And he's going to be playing my husband. <laughs> I'm in my early 20s, and Olin had, had to be, I don't know, maybe almost 20 years older, but he always looked older anyway. Yeah, he played storekeepers, yeah. hotel yes. managers, bankers, yes. but he had a voice that, oh. and he was with, for Disney fans, with Barbara Luddy. She oh. was Lady and Lady and the Tramp and things like that. The two of them were the leads on the First Nighter program. They would say, and Olin Zule, you know, he was very, very yeah. big. The Merchandise Mart was the place where they did Lone Ranger and I believe Kukla Fran and Ollie at first. And I watched that show religiously when I was a child. Kukla <laughs> Fran and Ollie. <laughs> that and Howdy Doody. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kukla Fran and Ollie is a very Chicago show. They talk about it a lot. Talk about visiting other places, but it has a real Chicago feel to it. And those interested in wanting to see them, there is a Kukla Franali channel on, My goodness. on YouTube. And in 2024, if you watch the 1951 series, and they're almost all on there, they follow the days of the week 
2024. So you can actually on Monday, see a Monday show on the Jeez. exact date. So it's really kind of fun to do. Yeah. Wow. You are a font of information. That's I've been called a font. <laughs> <laughs> Lovingly, of course. Love it. Always with the love. Always with love. So, and then we had also, was it your uncle or grandfather was Robert Farnan? My uncle, my father's brother, one of the three brothers that, well, Robert was a major light classical composer. Mm-hmm. He did the music and the albums and the arrangement for so many famous people. The list is endless. He headlined a lot of his own, too. Oh, yes, yes. And yeah. he lived on the Isle of Guernsey most of his life. It's a tax uh, haven structure over there outside of England. And he lived there, and I had the pleasure of going there in 1978 to see the island and see my grandmother, who lived until she was 96. Hmm. That was a, a momentary highlight in my life, yeah. I would imagine he conducted a lot of European orchestras then, which at the time was the thing to do. Oh, yes. I mean, he did all of the major people. He was Frank Sinatra, George Shearing, Tony Bennett. I mean, it's an endless list. We have a easy listening music choice channel on our satellite service. Right. And we keep the easy listening on. First of all, I, I love that kind of music. Okay, I'm a square, yes, but yes. I like to listen yeah, to yeah. it in full stereo and headphones, and it really is impressive. It's yeah. not at all the music you heard in grocery stores and elevators when it's, played, no, no. it's supposed to be played. But we also yeah. have it on because if our little doggy hears things, she barks, and so we kind of keep that on for noise too. But Robert Farnett's <laughs> name comes up a lot. And you can, you know, I've got all of the Wi-Fi type radio things. I've got the Alexa on my both speakers and stuff. So I'll often say play Robert Farnan music. Yeah. And that's what they do. That's lovely. Yeah. And then and Dennis, Dennis his brother, is doing music for Bullwinkle. And, yes. I mean, he was another very successful man. And he and his wife, when they were younger in the early days, actually were founding members of the Grammy Awards. That's really cool. That's so And his cool. wife, Christine, and she kept the name Farnan, was the executive director, I guess, for in her entire career, like 39 years or something. Dennis was the musical director for the Rocky and, and his friends' golden record album as well. And yeah. there's a Mr. Magoo called Magoo. Yes. Yes, I loved it. And it's so bizarre. It's like modern classical it's yeah. Marnie Nixon's in it, but she she basically just hums and goes ooh. It's so wonderfully strange. <laughs> yeah, wonderfully strange. That was uh, that, that's what they'll be saying about my entire family. <laughs> wonderfully strange group of people. And now, folks, please stay with us for part two of this week's Fantastic World when Shannon Farnan tells us more about being part of the cast of Super Friends as Wonder Woman and a lot more. 